would you look at that as ergo? We are here again. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here. I feel like I say it every time. Why don't you tell the people what we do here? <laughs> I've gotten too comfortable with that. We are reshaping the culture for the more creative and the more equitable. I think we're on the same page here. We are doing that. We have long-form interviews with artists, writers, organizers, folks doing great work here in Chicago. And we have a very special guest on the show today. One of my favorite conversations that we've had in a while up here. Yeah, definitely a fruitful conversation and also really important work. Mm -hmm. So we got Essence McDowell coming up, co-author of the new book, Lifting As They Climb. Who's that other co-author, Dame? Oh, the one and only, the big homie, Miriam Kaba. This is up here telling her story, but also going into this history of placemaking and just the the amazing organizing work that black women have done in Chicago and how so much of it gets forgotten and erased. So you'll hear a lot more about what the project is, but just so you know up top, it's a a walking tour, self-guided walking tour of sites uh, across the south side of Chicago uh, and the dozens of black women who are connected to those sites and the work that they've done. Uh, If you're curious and you want to get your hands on the book or just find out more, if you go to chicagoblackwomentour.com, you can get a little more information. It's 48 women, 33 locations, and just really beautiful, beautiful research showing the histories that we have to fight to not be erased. Check out this conversation and don't let this be erased. Ooh, nice. Like save it, download it, Mm -hmm. like put it on your backup. I'm obsessed with backup drives. (laughs) Let's get into this conversation with Essence McDowell. Yeah. We have a very special guest, especially special, especially special guest <laughs> in the studio with us. Damn, I think this one we have, falls on you. First, a phenomenal just spirit. Somebody like I. There's homey vibes, right? There's the, we get big smiles whenever we see each other. Yeah. Uh, activist, organizer, worker, ac- even academic educator, Sometimes writer, writer, yeah, out here oh, doing it. We got S.S. McDowell in the building. Put up, put up. So happy to be very happy to have you let's get right into what we like to do we 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 hope to always start with a two-part question and answer it however you feel in this time how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world oh uh-huh. beautiful let's see where you go with it's a beautiful it. You're about start. to take us somewhere how is the world treating me yeah. well well let me i could actually start with that uh going to be honest. Yeah, you please know, do. Um, the year didn't start off the best. Hmm. Actually, it was quite horrific. Uh, as soon as the new year, I woke up, 2019, day one, and found out my cousin was shot and killed. Mm. Hmm. And, you know, I'm really ritualistic. So the new year, I get so excited. I'm lighting candles. I'm saging and cleaning. And vision boarding. Vision boarding. Yeah. I held the black women's, you know, let's manifest. Let's decide what our vision's going to be, like kind of like event. And mm-hmm. I was ready. And so... That knocked me all the way out. That knocked me out. And it forced me to really be like, whoa, like, okay, you know, um, I need to reevaluate. I need to think about what it is I'm doing um, and how I'm protecting my family. Not, Hmm. and I, doing community organizing work, I'm like, I'm trying to protect communities and Mm -hmm. protect black women. And, but it was like, that's family, you know? Um, And so in this very real way, you know, I had to, to grapple with like what it looks like for inner community violence to be happening and to be so intense and to actually be taking lives, not just those I've known, but like my own cousin, just 18 years old. 
So life was like after that, it was kind of like, okay, 2019. All right. Okay. How do I, how do I like rise again after day one? Um, And so it hasn't been very sweet and buttery. Yeah. um, But I think that I've been doing my best to recover. And so how am I treating the world is really just trying to make sure I'm checking on my family more. Mm -hmm. I'm being a better sister, daughter, friend. Um, I'm trying to make sure I'm doing the work that I feel is positive and good in the world. It has some kind of contribution um, to black communities. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, that I'm I'm working on it every single day. I'm trying to really conceptualize um, what it means to just be living um, my highest self, living yeah. as my highest self, and contributing in ways that makes um, somebody's life a little bit easier. Yeah. So not to like start off on like, no, oh, no, I'm no, here with you. That's real, and definitely yeah. condolences to your family. Yeah, and yeah to you. thank you. Very thank sorry you. to hear that. From that, like, you know, I, I've seen you and I've known you, and we have been in spaces where in the big picture or in the structural or in the abstract, we're talking about how black people and black communities are affected by violence. And all obviously none of us are disconnected from it. Um, but sometimes it's not like intangible or concrete terms. Um, and so for this being so real and so close to home, did you learn anything or did it teach you anything about the way we talk about these issues or the absence of how we talk about it or where we are? limited in our framework as kind of a, a, a quote-unquote community yeah <laughs> damn through the yeah. air quotes on there <laughs> i would no shame no, to no, our no, community that, that really yeah but no it's important yeah. it matters it matters <laughs> yeah. No. um yeah i think to again going back to this just honest like realness I, the, my first response was like what am i doing like to be quote unquote an organizer or to say that that's what you do um, is one thing but like what are the changes that I really am striving to make and how does that in some way impact not just like larger communities Chicago communities national communities but my own family mm-hmm. and for a while I just felt like I'm failing I'm failing I'm failing I'm failing everything I tried to do um, I thought about all the organizations that I've been a part of. Um, I think one of the first organizations I was a part of was the All African People's Revolutionary Party when I came to Chicago, which is a socialist pan-African organization that's really, you know, connecting like black Africans here, Africans across the diaspora. Um, and, no, you know, I haven't done work with them in quite some time, in some years. And, you know, I was also a part of Black Youth Project. I think that was, was one of the times we had first, you know, met each other, Damon. And, um, you know, that work was, I think, really more centered around how we address the state in yeah. ways. Um, then I did work with Love and Protect, which was like a black a women a women's group that supported um, women and gender nonconforming folks who've been criminalized um, for defending themselves. And I went through a list of like, what have I done over the past couple of years? And like, what am I doing now? And how are our communities really like addressing the real issues? Hmm. Um, so when I stepped away from myself, there was the rage part that was like, yo. What we're doing is we are situating black violence um, in a way that says it's just the state. Police violence happens at a like a such a smaller rate than actual intercommunity shootings are happening and deaths are happening. Like it's like 
how many times a black person is killed on a Southwest, Chicago, New Jersey, New York, Cali, is just like exponentially more than how many police are actually killing black people. So over the years, I've really grappled with like why we're paying attention to something that's so much smaller and taking so many less lives than, you know, like the amount of black deaths actually happening. Like I was struggling with this. Mm -hmm. I was struggling with who in community I could talk to about this, who is doing work around these issues and not wanting to just have like this um, reactive response, but really Mm. deep think deeply about it um, and, and confront the fact that I can't do it immediately that I have to like take some time and heal, that I got to take some time and like not come out with rage, like we're doing the wrong thing because that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Because we do have to address everything that's going on mm. with um, the value of black life and how we're living and or dying. Right. And so it was just, I just had to take some steps back and really think about everything at once. It was everything at once. It was everything. It's hard yeah. to face everything at once. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you reconcile or, or get, not reconcile because that means like it's over, but like, was any of that resolved or where are you in answering that question of why we are able to mobilize in response to this specific form of violence that if we look at objective numbers is a little bit more marginal to what is just happening in our neighborhoods. The, I, I have like thoughts and, and I, I've, I wrestle with that as well, but where did it go for you? Um, well, I think that that's, you know, a large, large conversation. I would love like, a conference. Have, you know, like, I want us to have a colleague, you know, but I'm joking. No. We need at um, least four plenaries and panels. At least four. Just to just scrape the top We don't have the... laminated name badges. We're not going there. <laughs> there isn't a fruit plate involved. A pre-packaged I need, I roast beef and turkey sandwich. Luncheons, spread. a plenary. I need all of that. Yeah, I need yeah. all of that. No, but um, really, I think it's just easier you know, it's hmm. just easier. It's it's the way in which um, we address, like, instead of, like, a lot of people would choose a path of, of going external instead of going internal, right? It's just, like, what's like what's accessible? What what can be, like, more, like, sensational publicly? What can get, get more attention? Like, because the internal issues are the hardest to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's not just, like oh, well, we need to deal with police reform or, oh, we need to do deal with laws or how our, our government, local or, you know, national is operating in ways that protect us. It's actually like we're hungry, we're disadvantaged, we don't have resources, we don't have housing, we don't have jobs. Like the list just starts to accumulate, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I understand that that in a, in a like logistical sense is harder to grasp. It's harder to want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also more painful. It's also more painful for me to actually have had to say the words, my cousin was shot and killed, right? Yeah. And it's not just my cousin. Like, my one of my former students was shot and killed the year before. And, you know, it's just the, the, the numbers keep piling up in ways that I can't avoid. To, so to, to directly answer your question, um, I had to just take um, just the foundational things that I understood about organizing is going back to, like, my, you know— Bridging while black days mm-hmm. and say like the answer has always been us collectively addressing the issues. It's it's really a pan African approach. It's really unity is the only thing that could create the type the the immense response that we need. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's it's not just like a small 
conversation or conference, you know? It's like a whole community of people recognizing um, that this hurts so much and that we really have to do something anything all things about it and people are doing the work they are and that that was another thing I had to recognize people are doing the work they Mm -hmm. are you know I see them doing it in different ways and it may not be direct saying like we're going to stop gun violence in our communities but you know we're going to figure out how to have a healthy food hub right we're going to figure out how to protect black women and girls a little bit better right these things are all connected to that so I so I took a step back and said I just need to think about how we're unifying how we're connecting organizations again right like revisit um, something that I kind of dropped the ball on a little bit Mm -hmm. right like we didn't finish bridging like Mm -hmm. bridging is an incomplete project Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and that's also a lifetime project pan-Africanism meaning like a global approach to unification is a lifetime project and so I just have to keep the foundation there where I've established it the work that I've done over the years I can't discount it the the organizations I know are doing the work I can't discount them Uh, but I have to think about how to do it a little bit more strategically Hmm. so that it trickles to my family yeah it's uh I'm wondering whether in some of those spaces that you listed that were maybe more directly discussing or challenging or or wrestling with police violence, did you ever feel, whether it was externally imposed or just an internal discomfort with bringing up the other thing, (laughs) this big uh, other thing? And, And then also on the other end, when you're in the other room, being like, hey, while we're talking about this, you know, it's not just a harm reduction conversation. It's a structural piece that is influencing all that. Is that the, the, the gap to bridge? Mm. I like that. And I also have to choose my words carefully because I still know all these people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I could say I remember being a part of the Black Youth Project, mm-hmm. quite honestly. And and. It was a beautiful space and a time around like Mike Brown. It was just a, it was a really intense time that needed our energy. Yeah. And so I kind of reduced my work with the All African People's Party to step into to, um, the Black Youth Project. And it was a time that, that, that I wanted a collective, right? I wanted all of our young black brown selves around us to like really be like, what are we going to do, right? Mm-hmm. And I recognized that there's almost like a formula, that hmm. reform follows, right? Like, go to City Hall, talk to this official. It was just a way of approaching the issues if we're saying the main issue is police violence, is the main issue is, like, uh, governmental structural, like, defects. Um, we're going to just do it this way, and we're going to be a part of the communities in this way that kind of ignores that other side yeah. of the challenges so we would be downtown and not be on the south side more more you know mm-hmm. we would be at city hall more than we would be like on 71st right, right. and we brought this up i had a couple you know we were in there like but wait what about this you know and what i came to recognize is that's Organizations have their particular purpose and they can't right. handle everything and they can't address everything. And any expectations that are put on for one group of people to do it all, internal or external, are unfair. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to have the same, they may not like feel like that's the number one priority. You know, yeah. like our, like that communal violence may not be the number one priority. Right. The police are killing us. So they want to address that. They do. Um, and so in those rooms, I, I, I recognize that you know, we just have a difference of like what it is that we envision that we want to focus on. That's right. what do we want to spend our time and our energy on. It may just be slightly, you know, just 
on dif- in different corners of the city, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and that was, it took me a while to get there. So mm-hmm. not want to be in meetings like, hey, what, like, seriously, like, yeah. can you hear me? You know, being mm-hmm. obnoxious. I don't, and I never want to be obnoxious and not understand that, that we have other things that we want to do collectively and it has to be a collective decision, you know? Yeah. It has to be a, a decision-making process. So if some people feel like that's the move that they want to make, I can't object. So I felt like that was a, a major challenge for me yeah. within that organization. I loved so many people in there and I love the work that they're doing and the organization itself is is beautiful and, like, they, they take technology and they, they take organizing in a way in this really visible, beautiful, black way, unapologetically so, um, and is and they are doing great work in the world. It was just different work for me that I yeah. felt like I wanted to be doing. Yeah. Um. So I think I kind of just stepped back a little bit from that work. Yeah, and I think that's a journey, you know, in organizing that a lot of people go on. Right? As you find, you can see the value in, in the relationships and people, and it's like, well, maybe this isn't my my spot. Yeah. And that has to be okay too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and still maintain those relationships and still see the like you know I see Damon and I and you know in his direction that he's winning and hug and love and want to support because that yeah. was always my thing like if somebody from like BYP call me today and say Essence this is what we need you for you know seriously be there then I'm gonna seriously be there mm-hmm. you know so you know I I took steps back but never completely severed any relationships or even just like my respect for the org and respect for the work yeah, of um, but. That was a that was a challenging piece for me. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said uh, toward the beginning. Um, you were talking about like the beginning of the year, even before finding out the news about your cousin. You had these rituals that were kind of bringing in this this rejuvenation, and then the the news and, and the processing and the grieving kind of threw some of those on its head. Whether it's in the organizing work you do or just in the processing of that loss. Where are where are the rituals finding their home? What's what? How do you think about ritual in relationship to your sense of self and to the work you do in the world? Mm. Man, I love that. The only way that I was able to get up the next day, the day after, and the day after that, um, to make it home to New Jersey to support my family, was I really had to just sit with myself, and I really had to be okay with grief. You know, it's so much going on in the world and my, you know, my little life, you know, it's just like a (laughs) a fleck, a little piece of glitter in such a massive orchestration. Um, And I I have to just like sit with that, you know, and be okay that it hurts. It's hurtful. Like this is hurtful. What's happening to our communities is hurtful to feel like there's, you know, like a gap in the support or the way we address it, that's like a lot to deal with, you know, to like also put a lot of that weight on me and what I'm doing, how I'm doing the work. I just had to re actually the rituals were the grounding piece for me to sit and meditate, to sit at my altar and like, you know, connect with the universe, be silent, you know, cut off the social media. I was all, I was social media. I was done. (laughs) I was like, I can't scroll. We need a little Jill Scott. Just be silent. <laughs> Poorly sung Neil Soul. Yeah, no, you got cool. that. I heard that's it. Your new, that's your new lane. Yeah. I heard it. I heard it. It's good. It's good. And so, you know, I think we could talk further about some of the limitations of addressing external structures to respond to internal conflict or harm or um, trauma. Uh, and I, I kind of want to put a pin in that. I don't want to close it all the way, but I do want to hear what 
excites you? Yeah. Or what do you propose as how we then can more effectively engage the humanity of it all and the thing that you say is over here and is so much bigger and there may be even fear in terms of actually poking it at yeah i think essentially i just had to go back to the work that i'm doing <laughs> i'm doing so much <laughs> this you know like uh 2018 was the best year of my life yeah. and not because it was easy for sure but because i took on um this project lifting as they climbed and it gave Congratulations. me wings yeah man. for those who don't know can you describe the project first like what the the pitch is to the world and then also just like We're what it's come to mean to you Yeah, so Lifting As They Climbed is a guidebook written by myself and Miriam Kaba. Shout out. out. (laughs) Who, by the way, in addition to the just standard incredible Miriam shout out, just became a Patreon supporter, an amplifier of Ergo. So that is actually the the perk you get when you make the donation at her level is you get a shout out on the show. Yes, shout out Miriam. Gratuitous, fantastic, free shout out, and then thank you for supporting us. <laughs> yes, 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 Miriam. You know, not just like my the co-author of this this beautiful project together, but my friend, and she is a dynamic woman for yeah. sure. Best guest we've ever had. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty no, much. for sure. Yeah. yeah, man. Oh wow. I'm. That's of course not hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> of it's, it's always a privilege just to be in her presence. It is. Yeah. This. I mean, I'm. I'm. My partial glow is like because I'm next to her <laughs> in a lot of these ways. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Step your hair wrap game up. Oh, you know, I do. I do. Like, elevate my fly, you know, so, and my intellectual fly, too. You so, know? it's a book that y'all made together, and, and, and what's the role that it serves? Yeah, so it's a guidebook that features um, 48 black women um, who have contributed substantially to the South Side of Chicago. They're hmm. artists, they're educators, they're activists, uh, institution builders. They are absolutely phenomenal women that have somehow not made it to mainstream history somehow like really are at the footnotes of what we understand as black history collectively they are black women's stories and legacies um, that we gotta know that we need to know Um, and so the guidebook doesn't just tell you their stories but it takes you on a tour through the south side um, through the sites um, and landmarks that speak to their stories so it's a a really accessible text. The sites are it's about thirty three sites. So cool. we put it out in the world so that not only you can interact with Black women's history, but you can also um, walk the footsteps of these Black women and also see the the gorgeousness of the South Side, the rich yeah. histories that are still there to this day, um, to inspire you. You know, to to really give you this like communal context around the history of Black communities in Chicago, and it also speaks to a larger history nationally and globally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that project is uh, you know about to be one years old it's Damn. March 17th was our <laughs> launch date uh-huh. oh man our baby is like whoo it's growing <laughs> <laughs> um, it has it's Stop reached crawling. it's on two it's, legs now oh my gosh to to walk. it's almost lo- at this point like it's Making literally running mean facial expressions <laughs> yes. 11 months is, is the the mean facial expressions <laughs> <laughs> it's side eyeing anyone who yeah. dares to you know but you know first, first of all just Congratulations and so incredibly proud of you and for you. It's an amazing project and such a a beautiful contribution to the world. And the the concept is so rich. So I really want to talk about the idea formation. I want to talk about process. And I have curiosities for next steps. So let's go back to, 
you know, this is not the traditional format. This is not like an essay. This is not an anthology, right? It's right. an interactive guide. Um, and so what were the first conversations? What were the first moments of when the, the idea started to come to light? Uh, so we could go definitely to October 2017. We did this on a, a really expeditious time frame. Damn. So Miriam sends a Facebook group message and is like, you know, I have this idea that I've been working on, this research I've been working on, and I want to kind of talk to you guys about it. So she brings us in. It's me, maybe about 10 other women um, at the UIC Women's Leadership Resource Center. And she is just talking about the research. She's done black women's research for like decades like over 20 years and so but she was like you know this particular project is is associating these women's histories to these sites and she starts with um, mary richardson jones um who whose husband was gifted the land that jones college prep is currently on Mm -hmm. and as she went through like a couple of these women's stories i was like okay wait what like mm-hmm. i don't know this i don't yeah. i walked past there oh, so many times million mm-hmm. feel like millions of times i had no idea um and for me the project was birthed out of like my part was birthed out of just this like feeling i felt when i heard those stories mm-hmm. it was like yes yes there are moments you are presented with something and you're like okay you know maybe yeah. i'll do it or that sounds good this was a hundred percent yes. It wasn't a send me an email. Yeah, no, it wasn't a send. I, she said, "Who wants to help?" And my hand was raised so high, <laughs> you know, and it ended up just being me and her who took <laughs> the project, you know, and, and so we met, and she, you know, told me more about, you know, what she had in mind, and we kind of talked about how many women and said, you know, this could be a book, a yeah. guidebook, you know, um, this, that's the form that it could take. And, uh, because I'm, I do like a lot of like layout and design, um, the year prior we had done, um, a survivor defense toolkit that I designed and, um, you know, the survived and punished, uh, worked on and love and protect worked on, like, mm-hmm. you know, we pulled it together. Yeah. And so because of my skills and her skills blended very well in that area, we were like, let's do it, you know, yeah. let's do it. But, uh, you know, Miriam, like, let's do it. And we did it quickly, <laughs> like quickly. <laughs> yeah, because that first conversation is November 2017. When did it come October out? 2017. October 2017. Yeah. yeah, then we met in November to decide it was going to be like a whole guidebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we finished in March. So how many of the people in the book and places in the book were you familiar with or like knew the history of before November 2017? I would say probably like out of 48 women, I could probably say maybe five I knew, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And that made me uncomfortable in the in the beginning, right? Like, I was like, oh. I got my Margaret Burroughs. I, I got my Lorraine Zandler. Brooks. Yeah, you know, Lindbrook, and yeah and Ida B's. And then it's like, oh. <laughs> and then the silence, you yeah, know, yeah. and that and that was fuel because mm-hmm. it was like, you know, I've, I mean, I try to be well read. You yeah, know, it's I like, try to be if a you, part of history. This is your work, right? Yeah. Like, if you don't know these names and these histories, and who's going to know? You know, absolutely. In all of my life, I talk about how every history class I felt I felt erased, and right. I couldn't put a, a a name to it or like really define it, but I felt erased through all of social studies you know Um, so as we publish and we start talking to teachers I thought that would be different in 2018 I thought Mm. that that would they'd be like no you know we kind of got a grip we got this huge you know encyclopedia of black life that we use and we go I just thought it would be um, such a more 
a rich space um, for education. Like you thought the difference would be more between what you experienced and what's happening And what students are experiencing today. You would think like the Nintendo to PlayStation 4. (laughs) If you look at what's happened to video games since we was in school, you would hope that school would have changed as much as video games. Yes. (laughs) Yes. How could technology go so fast but our textbooks are? You're still playing Pong. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. They like analog. They playing cards. They didn't make it to the screens yet. I mean. We don't even got a Sega. No Sega. <laughs> like they blow, like they blow the cartridges. I don't know, you know? Um, and that just kind of like, that was like, wow. Hmm. You know, that was like, oh, this work means so much more than Chicago, right? Like yeah. this is like such important work for our, our youth. Yeah. You know, they have to know these stories. They got to know more. They got to know more. Um, and with it being Black History Month, I go back to those thoughts. You know, I go back to like, you know, a lot, some people are actually, they say, like, you know, we don't really need Black History Month. Black History Month is 365 days. That's not how it is in the educational system. Right. Right. It's not 365 days. It's really not. Mm-hmm. And they still need these 28 days. Um, and not only do they need these days to honor, like, black contributions, but um, they also need more resources. They need more tools to engage in black history. They right. need, and they also need the the digitized versions. Yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking about how do we create like visually stimulating um, projects and, and things that take history and black history and black community memory and infuse it with these like great technological advancements. Yeah. Like, well, do y'all, how's the, uh, how's the plan for the app going? I mean, this <laughs> seems like it's asking for, you know, like a walking tour yeah. type interactive audio type thing. With yeah. GPS because it's that. actual a physical tour that you like will lead people Map through. Out, right? Yes. It's, right. Yeah. We yeah. did a lot of tours last year taking folks into the community, like mm-hmm. to see like the buildings, touch the buildings, yeah. walk the Yeah. Steps. So I wanted to, you mentioned there were, you know, so many people, you know, how many of those physical places did you know their role in history and how many of them are the actual buildings you're talking about still standing? Well, for the 33 sites, we made sure that a majority of those are actually still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked past so many of those sites. Yeah. So many of the sites I was in that community literally walking past those houses. Because Jones, you know? is the, which is like Polk kind of, which is yeah. South, mm-hmm. is the furthest north. Yeah, point, it's the it's the right. it's and the it, first site of the tour. It works south, and it goes there. all the way south. Yeah, to sixty um, first and Rhodes, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I didn't know about. The, I went to DePaul, so Jones is like across the street from like one of DePaul's yeah, like yeah. dorms. Mm-hmm. Didn't I had no idea, you know. And to connect them to Black women's history was even more. Um, revealing to me yeah and so i just felt like okay we have to take people out here to do this and to also answer your question we're going to be launching the website which will include some of those audio pieces Mm. that that creates like ways for teachers to access some of the resources online we definitely will make this a 21st century project (laughs) for sure um and i'm excited and and resources yeah and we're having also a webinar on march 20th that Mm. helps educators access this information and um you know learn about the histories of the book and also how to bring these the idea of like mapping in history to classrooms for teachers and place-based in that way so that it, I, I could imagine if I was a student and we're talking about a building that I've walked by my whole life that I never, I was always curious about. That's very different from like, in history this happened. It's like, no, no, on that block this happened. Yeah. That that could connect in a different way. Yeah, it makes them feel like history is alive. You know, yeah. it's like history is today. History is now. Like you are able to access that in yeah. your communities. Like your community, it 
has all of the history that you could even imagine. Like, you yeah. don't even really know. But, like, once you find out, like, what sites and where they are, it opens the door to say, like, how much more history is here? How much yeah. more history, not just in my community, in my family, that we should uplift, that we should highlight? Mm-hmm. You know, we hope this ignites just a different interest in history for students, you know? Something more personal, something yeah. more that you could connect to and tap into within yourself or see reflected in your yeah. community. What, you know? For you, what what did you tap into that? Because I'm very interested in um, kind of like reversing the way we, we're taught about history of like going from the individual contribution uh, to like what all of these contributions say together in context with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have all of these amazing parts to this whole, right? All of these amazing contributions mm-hmm. from these women who are not appreciated for what they've contributed to the world. What did, in doing that work, did that teach you about like the whole of, of the group, right? Cause you, by putting the, you said 48, mm-hmm. by putting these 48 women, now, now that's in some ways one thing. Yeah. What are some of the, the personal lessons that, that strained out from that? Personal lessons. These women were powerhouses. Like mm-hmm. I've understood like contributions to communities or, or starting a organization. These women started multiple organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They built institutions that grew into like nationally renowned social service providing right. like spaces, you know, like hundreds mm-hmm. and thousands of people are still benefiting from the things that these women created. Right. Like to see that as a whole, to like, to really um, be able to access their collective histories, like collectively what they contributed to Chicago for um, 200 years. This this year being 2019 mixed 200 years because the, the earliest person that we include in the book is 1819. Mm-hmm. You know, so what does that look like yeah. that we have contributed so much? We have made sure that our families and our communities had medical attention, had housing, had jobs, had space to feel safe, you know, space to feel creative, you know, performing arts. Like it just as a whole, the body of work and not work, but like the body of like resources and institutions that we can still see and touch that they created mm-hmm. 200, almost 200 years ago. Yeah. Now throughout all of these years, um, makes me feel like I really just want to be more and do more. I really want yeah. us to see how much we can do. They yeah. did this at a time where it was no cell phones, you know, yeah. <laughs> like they did so much at a time where we, they couldn't just get in their car and drive all the way to, you know, like Shit, it wasn't all just. Their, all their flyers were handmade and then maybe mimeographed. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the one I always come back to is like, if you handed out a hundred pieces of paper, you may have had to write a hundred pieces of paper. <laughs> yeah. And space wasn't accessible, right? They had like <laughs> racial travel. restrictions on where they could go yeah. And how they could travel like yeah. but they still did so much you know yeah. so I think what it did for me was like okay I ain't shit what? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think when I hear not you that's David feels like not shit but when you say that then it also is a spark of inspiration where you be <laughs> like, like oh, let what me, can I do let me, let me become shit I could be I shit yeah, let me be shit I how do I get from not now. shit to shit what's right. the shit I gotta do <laughs> and it's not that difficult because they laid out like the yeah. blueprints yeah. for us you know they so is there it. is there anyone in the book who you learned about, who you've been like, oh, I didn't know I was in this person's lineage, but I definitely am in her lineage. Mm. Well, I mean, I, oh, I love all of them. I have like these 
these weird phases of like I love this one this day yeah. and or like based on like who I'm talking to um, I might just be like well I just really need to talk about like Melissa Elam who's my favorite favorite I know Mary like stop talking about Melissa Elam I still can't get over her because she just she's just my favorite you who know she? Um, she's a woman who started the Melissa Elam home for working women and girls and originally I think that I was attracted to her story because she was a formerly enslaved woman who then built um, a space where women and girls could have like homes to rest their head to also like have the opportunity to then you know build on their education build businesses um, but then I think the work around black women and girls for her to, to, to say like I need to protect us then that speaks to like me today hmm. you know I, I the more and more that I'm speaking to women I'm hearing their stories and what they need like that is what she was doing like so many years ago right yeah. she saw like we needed support and she just created it she opened her home you know for yeah. us and so just like those stories and then it's weird like I'm um, kind of like even though I knew about Lorraine Hansberry, um, Imani Perry just wrote this this beautiful book about yeah. Lorraine Hansberry that I've been digging into and really learning about her on a deeper level. Like these women, they were creative and brilliant in so many ways, but they also had their personal challenges that they had to overcome. Yeah, Lorraine Hansberry, all kind of dynamics in her family yeah. and in her work and economically and the critiques that she got being of a certain socioeconomic class and yeah. Uh, there's actually a great, a little podcast to podcast shout out, uh, Eve's show, uh, Bug House Square, where they take old Studs Terkel interviews and then juxtapose it with contemporary conversations that Eve hosts. It's a great episode. Uh, it's Studs and Lorraine Hansberry and then Eve and Imani Perry talking about her book and about oh, the conversation. Beautiful. And that's available online. So shout out to Bug House Square. Yes. And, and it gets into like a lot of the, you know, filling out the picture of who these who these women are as humans, you know, yeah. and the work and the challenges that are inherent in that. Yeah, and I brought up Lorraine not, because people know about Lorraine, right? Yeah. But what the book did for me was like, I want to know more about her. So, mm-hmm. right, the book is just snapshots of their lives and what they did and the, the institutions they were connected to and affiliated with. Right. Um, but we hope that it's like just like this inception of like, how can I do more research, right? Like, yeah. how can I dive in deeper? How can I like really understand their lives from a uh, like a deeper level? Like, what did they go through? And what, not just what did they contribute? Right. You know, like who are these people beyond the the tangible or intangible things they leave behind? Absolutely. You and know? then what do they cite their sites say? Um, <laughs> you know, like Ada S. McKinley, who's a social service provider. She she still had there's like so many sites that still yeah. yeah. So it's like and I I saw the logo before writing mm-hmm. the book. I'm like, oh, that logo looks really cool. You know, I see it on the South Side. What is that, right? But to know who she was, right? In the the original South Side like settlement house that she created is like in the middle of IIT's campus right and all they have is this like marker like this little small (laughs) like maybe like four foot or five foot marker that's slim and has like a paragraph about the Southside settlement house (laughs) you know the original location for A.S. McKinley services and it just makes me think, like, what exactly are, how are we preserving our histories, hmm. right? Like, how do we, like, we know what was there. Like, where did it go? Why? And how do we still remember it after it's gone? How yeah. do we protect it when it's there? It's just this different project around the memorialization and, and just, like, the preservation of our history that the book also sparked for me. Yeah. yeah. My, my question speaks right to what you were just saying. So it, it's two-part 
or either or or and both and or either <laughs> pick whichever way you want to go with it i'm about to throw you some shit and just rock with it okay um, <laughs> i'm bracing myself so okay. on the one hand i would like to know for you are there any parallels to this you know broad survey of chicago's history that feel relevant to what's happening contemporarily or on the flip side are there things that resonate for you that feel absent or feel like that we lost that through recovering this historical memory, we can maybe like re-spark or try again, right? So is there things that like really resonate like, oh, that feels like what this is or the things that like seem foreign and needed? No, we, we, we've been doing the work. We're still doing the work. We're going to be doing the work. And, <laughs> and, and I see that. But what I think this project pushes to is like, how do we make sure that we're going to tell our stories? We have to tell our stories. We, we have all of this technology. And when I Google, like for I, sometimes I'm just Googling for like images to use and like whatever I'm designing. Black mm-hmm. images. Mm-hmm. These images, one are like older, antiquated. They're like when I was looking clip for art a clip art, yeah. it is, or the Getty Images owns the beautiful ones. You know, like mm-hmm. that's just a simplified version. Like, how are we still telling our stories? We need to document our stories. Instagram is one thing, but Instagram is not going to show up when a young child needs pictures of like black women in, in community circles, right? Yeah. Like, we we still have to create platforms and ways that we are preserving our history. I think digitally, especially, but also there are buildings today. You know that black women have built and contribute to that we have to think about for the future when the city is like mm, we're gonna just we're gonna take this bulldoze yeah. this down clear out it's this like, we field. know this is important but we, have you considered condos right exactly <laughs> you know whatever their agenda is sometimes that agenda completely just um, erases our history yeah. and so the more we know about like what's there and um, who created it you know why it's important to our communities the better we can preserve it I think so I'm hoping that like the gaps are like, oh, we we won't we'll lose less, right? Or we'll take better care of what's still there, you mm-hmm. know. And there's no telling the ways that we can do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a very physical way, but like we need yeah. to document it. We need to have like our sites yeah, that speak to us. Personal, communal, and institutional memory, unless you actively preserve it, right. is wiped away. It's wiped away. Yeah, it's wiped away, and it's so much. You know, we're actually expanding to the west side. You know, mm-hmm. that's Beautiful. The, that's the future. <laughs> Well, actually the present, but um, we're expanding to the West Side and we're seeking to tell the stories about the the West Side black women, you mm-hmm. know, and because of the the fires that happened with the riots and, you know, the, it's a different type of history and much yeah. of it is harder to find, harder to to like even talk about because it's just no longer there. Yeah. Um, so I think this one will push us even further to say like we need to figure out how um, to memorialize these lives, these institutions, the things that like really were the centers of black life um, at the time. We need to do that now. We need hmm. to figure out creative ways. Um, so important. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like a never ending model. It feels like, <laughs> you know, by the time you finish one, they got new history. <laughs> but no, but, but for like lack of a better word, this could be like franchised, right? Like this is an exercise that could be done well in so many hubs throughout the country. right? In the like, world. Yeah. yeah and like, oh, yeah. And what does the black woman's history of Atlanta look like? Yes. With the interactive tour. What about Detroit? What about the Bay? Yes. Like that is something that have you thought of it that way or you stay in the space that, that you know? Oh, of course. The the first is a self-guided tour, right? So we want people to take this agency and go out into the communities. But how we're talking about black women's history can never be like squelched into just one demographic, right? Yeah. This is definitely a project that 
someone in New York could take on. You know, they're in yeah. conversations and like when I'm speaking to groups and people will always say, well, what about, you know, Northside? What about D.C.? Are you planning to travel? And I'm like, I would love to do that. Don't, don't get me cut wrong. Cut the check. Cut the check. <laughs> of course, cut the check. Cut the check. <laughs> but also, no, I want people to feel inspired yeah. to do it. Right. You yeah. know, I hope that the project is an inspirational text, right? Like yeah. that it's a resource that like sparks the ideas for, you know, Compton. You know, yeah. I want to know about those women's histories. Texas, I want to know about those black women's histories too. Um, so maybe if we could connect and, and I could be a resource to right. help other women or whomever whoever wants to take on this historical memory yeah, I, mean, I can like right. picture the the like the mapping software right? like I can see what this map looks like where you zoom out and it's the country and there's these pinpoints all over the place in these different cities and rural areas and so like no matter where you're going if you're curious about what has happened there and what the spaces are and the people are you can just zoom in a little bit yeah. and there's your little afternoon walking tour yes let's project this yes into reality people listening yes because then it, I know this is like we're getting lost in the hypothetical, but then you could do like across time frame, right? Because if it's expanding 200 years in all these different cities, you could just do the 60s yeah. right. across the nation. You got your you map and do, you got your timeline. Yeah, yeah, you could just the 1920s across the across the country. Oh, it would be beautiful. It would be beautiful. It's going to happen. It is. And it's But I also want to say, you know, we we try to be realistic and say like right. me and Miriam coming yeah. together is a pretty unique situation true. and we have a lot of advantages, true, right? True, true, true. But true. there are more simplified ways to document these histories, yeah. right? And there are also ways that like, that's why we're taking it to youth because when they start thinking like, oh mom, like what is our history, our family history here in this community, mm-hmm. right? Like, or what do you know? Like oral histories are important, right? Yeah. How do we just get the you know we got these voice recorders how do we capture that on our phones and then map it that way right like or use our google maps um to just do those like little pinpoints right Mm -hmm. and be able to share that link so somebody could literally just walk up the street from site to site so it doesn't have to be a guidebook it could be (laughs) a small walking tour right because that still has its extremely powerful significance and can still transcend time and can be instructive to those around like whether that's family members or community members like they would want and need that you know yeah have you done any of that history making with your own family Mm. so we were we were talking about mcdowell being my last name um and for a while i was like gosh why is it essence mcdowell sounds so you know crazy it's just like juxtaposing yourself but um i learned about my family here i went to the my family reunion for the first time for my mcdowell family Mm. um last year and that opened the a million questions for me, you know, to know that, you know, my family's from the South and we are, you know, extensions of the formerly enslaved. This is why I have McDowell as my last name. You know, for me, it was like, okay, I am working on this project and I have to ask the questions. For some strange reason, I hadn't asked the questions. <laughs> like, it really, and it, and I think in some ways, some families want to protect certain things. They yeah. might not mm-hmm. want you to be like, okay, well, here's the whole history when you're too young to be able to and process it. Gets, it. it gets messy. It and gets there's messy. Stories Ops, that are, uncles, yeah, uh-huh. you know, cousins, you know. But what like, it did Oh, you left town at 3 a.m. I wonder why. Why <laughs> no. you moved away at 3 a.m. and never went back. Something yes. might have happened. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you got this national history uh-huh. when you thought it was just this real localized yeah, history, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but we got to ask, you know. And that, and on a, on a personal level, I'm like, okay. And now that's just my McDowell side of the family. Like, I have to think about, like, my father's side of the family now. You know, the Hatcher's like, what are, who who's my great, great, great grandfather, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and figure out how to map my own, you know? So mm-hmm. it was, I'm, I, I have not yet uh, really done an excellent job, but I started the questions. And yeah. the questions have, I mean, really, really opened some doors and let me know some things I had no idea about hmm. who I am, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just implore you guys, have you asked your... And you know your grandparents you know and about that history. I've asked. It's 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 kind of uh, both of my my grandmothers were kind of like cut off and somewhat abandoned, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of like it's actually a, a really beautiful unity. Um, like just not really the word, but in some ways, I kind of understand both my grandmothers were orphaned, and so for the fact for their children, me and they at one point worked in the same building and didn't really like know each other like that. <laughs> mom and dad met later. So unfortunately Before of, they got together before yeah. your parents got together, your grandmothers worked they in both the same worked building. at the phone company. That's phone amazing. Yeah. So so I, I unfortunately am limited in getting to my great grandparents generation a little bit. Like I know a few seeds, but some of that has, has been cut off for me. And like that kind of goes to to my question as the experience of black people and black women in America has been so unique. Is there anything unique about the methodology of historicizing those experiences? You know, if documentation was not done the same for folks who are excluded from certain institutions, if it's not in the academy in the way that you, I don't know what I'm asking because I don't know a lot about history, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm a me- methodology felt like a cool word to use. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but and I'm it, assuming yeah. there's something unique about it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think this, having just started the work and the research around the West Side, I'm noticing that black history in the West Side is harder to access, right? Like, it's not, because most of our stories and all of our, like, you know, homes, schools, things of that nature, lots of folks went to the South Side instead yeah. of the West Side. But, um and there are cultural institutions on the South Side that preserve some of that in a way that there aren't, like, there isn't a Harold Washington Performing Arts Center, a cultural right. center on the West Side. There isn't a DuSable. Those are geographically located in one particular area. Yeah, it's not. The, the breadcrumbs aren't as plentiful here. Hmm. And what then we have to think about is how are we going to use oral histories, right? right. How my, I have to do some work. I got to talk to some people in different ways. For the South Side, I was able, we were able to read. I was able to read a lot to learn a lot. You know, I was able to find like websites and, you know, like the even the homes just walking up Martin Luther King. We were just mm-hmm. able to identify so yeah. many of those places, right? This is a different project. And so when I'm thinking about the methods of the research, when I'm thinking about how we're going about it, I have to be more creative and I, but I also have to respect and really engage in in our communities, right? Like in the people who hold the knowledge. These like communal historians, yeah. like it doesn't have to be somebody with a PhD that yeah. is speaking to right. the life in the past of these people. Like it could be a grandma, like we were right. talking about. Your grandma knows what happened to her family. Yeah. And so how do we use that? And then because it's like a or how do I make that more tangible for folks who are not there, right? Yeah. So then I could digitize it. Then I could like make it into like a, you know, map, have someone draw some things out and make an infographic or however. You and know. then all of a sudden, it's moved from memory to history. Right. And then the next person has this archival material to work with. Absolutely. We got to yeah. build our own archives. Hmm. We really do. And it's not just couched in these institutions of higher education. Yeah. You know, prestigious, you know, these prestigious. You know, right. It's, it's not, it's just, not like, just their 
top yeah. down an umbrella no. approach. Yeah. Right. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can build maybe more. We could have so much more to choose from, so much more variation, so many more yeah. voices added to that archive, you know? So that's a different project that I'm I'm recognizing now. It's some some different work. You you're know? about to you're some about to fuck work. around and become an archivist. That's happening. <laughs> I, I love that though. Yeah. I love that. I've always loved books and libraries and just like, man, like it just makes me feel so powerful and so infinite you know what do you mean by that like just knowing like there's just so much you can contribute to there's so many ways whether I become an archivist or a writer or historian you know historian or just even just a communication strategist I do mostly communications right Right. but there's so many ways for me to contribute to black life and black memory Hmm. it's just endless Um, and when it came to books books were always my way of like of accessing that information, like going to the library and seeing, I mean, the African-American section, sometimes depending on which library, right, could be limited. But from a, a, even my youthful perspective, it just was like, there's so much for us to learn. There's so much for us to learn. I actually would feel sad when I thought about like, I only can live a certain amount of years in my life. I'm not going to get to all of these books. (laughs) Right. So like I need to like choose wisely and read more and learn more so that I could become a more whole person and Hmm. I could have more to contribute like culturally and socially. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That is overwhelming. The amount of books. Those stacks. I've kind of like tried to loosely plan out my next 30 years of reading. (laughs) (laughs) You know those lists, how many books you should read? You'd be like, okay. All right. right. By the time I'm 35, I can start doing some fiction. (laughs) (laughs) But the problem is people are going to keep writing books. Yeah. Yeah. Or in other things. Yeah. Movies. Documentaries. Oh, man. Self-guided tours. Podcasts. There's not enough time in the We day. are the problem. Everybody, <laughs> we are the reason people aren't reading books. No, I'm sorry. No, it's just an, an additional way so I can read a book while I'm driving via this podcast, exactly. you know? Yeah. So it's beautiful. Is there a piece of, let's say, it can be the citywide, it can be within your work, it could even just be personal or with your family. What's a piece that of your present that you hope and are working to make mm. sure is, exists in the archive 20, 50, 100 years from now? Ooh. <sighs> Good one, that was a good one. Oh man, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like a legacy question, you know. <laughs> and yeah. um, I've been listening to some podcasts, and the I think it was Maya Angelou who had once said, "Like your legacy is not something you create; it's the people that you like or interacting with that you touch, the lives that you touch, right. and you never know who those people are. You couldn't even imagine, you know." Um, so I just would hope. What is preserved is that I was able to make someone feel like limitless, you know, hmm. in some way feel powerful, not feel erased, you know, yeah. like I, I think even there were some older women I was talking to and they were like, we love this project because we feel like we're visible. We're being seen, you hmm. know, and I, I want people to feel seen. I want black women to feel like they are being seen. Their work and their contributions are are so important, you know, and, and if any way that by uplifting their stories, by supporting their struggles, you know, like I by being them, the seer, by being the seer, being you know, the, by reading yeah. the, you know, whatever yeah. it is they put out, consuming their, their information in their lives. Like I, I hope that that like 
is helpful, you know, or a little girl, you know, it would just, I'm made in history. If a little girl is like, man, I know, I know more about us now. You hmm. know, I know, I feel like I'm, I'm more because of like what I know I'm capable of, you hmm. know, like I feel like I see myself when I'm sitting in classrooms for the next, I don't know, 24 years, you know, like I want them to feel like, you know, that they have wings and these, the, the women that I wrote about, they made me feel like so much more is possible. Hmm. Like when I read their stories and I'm I'm seeing what they built and who they were and or what they overcame, you know, I'm like, Psh, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> and that's that's kind of, if I can make somebody feel in any way just like more able to handle this world in itself, like I would love for that to be like my legacy because hmm. it's not something I make or do. Um, it's not. It's really just about the people that feel yeah. like stronger. I love that idea that like you don't get to decide what your legacy is. I don't like you, <laughs> by nature. There's like all these, you know, artists or whatever. It's like I hope this is what lives. It's like you don't get to pick who. Who are you to think that you get to decide how you are remembered? Yeah, you know that's for that's for the world to interact with and what and what stays. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is beautiful. <laughs> I don't. I just. There's something invigorating talking about this work. You know, hearing about it, seeing some things online. Jennifer went on the tour. Um, you know, I, the book's at home, so I've I've looked through it. It's. I'm impressed. You know, I'm I'm moved, and I don't have a question. I'm just. I have praises. Shout out to yeah, you. Shout out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's really it's really great that that this is happening and is being done and. You know, your legacy is is being built for sure. Thank you so much. It's really actually just my honor. Like, <laughs> I'm so honored. I feel so grateful every day to be able to do this work, to do something that's like, that doesn't feel like a, so much labor. You know, it's challenging yeah. and it has its moments, but it's stretching me. Mm-hmm. It's stretching me so that I can give to us. You know, it's just, it just feels like a, a whole, I'm not super religious. So I like oftentimes never really understood the whole blessings. Yeah, and, yeah. But this feels like that. You know, mm-hmm. this work feels like that. I feel like, I mean, how did I get to be so lucky? How did yeah. I get to be so lucky to to write about these women, to work with a woman like Miriam, like to become friends? Like, yeah. how? How? Who? Like, who are just just me? Yeah. Essence. I'm just from New Jersey. <laughs> where in Where in Jersey are you from? By the way, I'm from Rawway. Uh, Rawway, yeah. Jersey. Yeah. Rawway, New Jersey. Okay. It's, okay. it's you know, my family is still there. My mm-hmm. family is still in, in New Jersey. So. It just it just feels good to be able to do work yeah. that just feels like it's helpful, you yeah. know, to be a part of something that's contributing. This feels like that is a great that that feels like the title of something. This feels like that. That feels like the title of a, a poem or a book or a, a <laughs> movie. I don't know. This feels like that. I don't know. I like that. that mm, I like that yeah. too. <laughs> and, and that, and it sounds like what you're saying actually ties in with some of what we talked about up top about like learning when to step away and we're a place that like you believe in what they do but it isn't like just because you can do something doesn't mean that it's the place for you to do it or the role that you for you to be in it's like I have these other tools that I can use in the way that rings true and that's maybe a better use of my time so that's beautiful that you found a way to like direct this brilliance and this energy that it's fulfilling to you. Yeah. And that's what matters most. Like it's not, I'm not, we're not getting a big check out here. You know, yeah. it's not about like the money or like the, vi- like the success part in ways. I thought I used to think success was like, well, if I'm making this amount and I have this and my career is this, like 
that's not what it is. You know, like mm-hmm. to be able to wake up and feel purposeful is like where I'm feeling like that's the that's the move right there. That's the vision for my like life is feel purposeful, like mm-hmm. rise and feel like, you know, what you're doing in the world just like feels good to your soul, you yeah. know? And I think it's it's a void that a lot of people feel that is the undercurrent in a lot of tension and conflict and internal strife is people just feeling like they don't know if they're contributing to anything. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's great. I, we're just going to keep saying yeah. it's great. Yeah, <laughs> we can wind down, but th- something I just thought of that I proposed that this conversation. So there's all these things that, like, we got excited about of, like, possibilities that we're not trying to throw on you and, like, mess up your schedule more than it already is. And so when's the app drop? (laughs) You know, like the app, the national tour, this poem, this feels like that. All of these things, those feels like assignments or homework for people who are listening. Uh That feels like something we should start doing is like these very big, vague assignment homework projects for people who hear these conversations that we don't check. You know, like right. do it or don't do it. But that like something for the world to contribute to what's already happening. And if this is something that you really want to do, get in touch with us and we're happy to put you into like we can be a, a bridge. If, if there are ways we can help, we're happy to help. And also just like take it and run with it. Any more assignments for the people? You know, you were Stuff saying you not going to do. Y'all need to do this. Yes. <laughs> put them to work. Well, you know, research history in your community. Mm-hmm. Talk to your family. Talk to your grandma, your yeah. mom, your dad. Like those things are e- like not easy. Definitely not easy. But those things are like a phone call away. Accessible, you know, yeah. you don't have to like, you know, write it, write it down. You could use your phone because I'm sure you have a smartphone. Um, but yeah. And also, I think when you were saying some people feel like they don't have a purpose or they don't know what that is is like I would recommend just kind of like trying things out so you may not like I didn't know I wanted to do tours I actually still don't know whether I want to do tours <laughs> but you know because it's, it's like it's challenging but you got to try things you know yeah. I think that just trying something that just sounds like oh that sounds a little crazy but I'm gonna just try this out right like I'm gonna just read something that's just like off my general interest like list right like just try Things, try a podcast, right? Try doing your own audios to see. Just yeah. try different things because your purpose is not something that's just this concrete thing you're going to stumble upon and one day you're going to wake up and the purpose is there. Yeah. It's so purposeful. Now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It just came from me going to a meeting that somebody was like, oh, I have some ideas, right? Yeah. Like, Or it comes from me just like, I kind of just want to explore what like digital art might look like, you mm-hmm. know, or Afro features might feel like, right? These are just like experiments. Like life is yeah. really an experiment and, and the more you experiment, the more you get closer to whatever that purpose could possibly be for sure that's that's beautiful is there something in the back of your mind that you haven't tried yet that you want to try oh <laughs> you know it's weird i feel like i want to like uh like write a play or try to be like like I saw um to catch a creation recently hmm. uh it's a play at the goodman oh my gosh it's so good please see it I mean I'm sorry I don't want to be an ad but it was so good and it was was written by a black woman it's just like it just touched a lot of subjects that I found so interesting and also relevant but like I was like well what if I just uh, you know tried acting I'm always scared of people you know but Uh, this made me have to not be scared of people anymore this project and I was like well if I just did like you know a little what is it a monologue right Mm -hmm. like and tried that out that would be you know not that I want to be an actor I don't want to be an actor right but like what if I tried it what if you acted <laughs> what if I acted you don't have to be an actor to act 
Right. Yeah. Right. I might just actually just be myself, but they don't even know that side <laughs> of me. <laughs> How about you, Dan? You got anything that you haven't tried yet that you like really want to try? Um, to publish writing. Yeah, nah. that's a good one. Nah. I mean, I'm working on it, so I guess I am trying, but but actively like nah. putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to play my violin again more. Ah, That's violin. Fun. Back in the day, I'm trying to. I, I, I just dusted it off at the closet a couple weeks ago. Check you. Trying out. to break that back I'm up. A man of culture. <laughs> yes, you didn't know these voices. We have a writer and a violinist. I'm swirling a cognac that. as we speak. <laughs> right. um, before we get out of here, is there like a, a word or an idea or a sentence you would use to describe like how you're feeling right now or something that's stuck in your head from our conversation? I think I just feel illuminated Mm -hmm. from our discussion. You know, I feel like there's a light, you know, that's like shining and it's just so, it's so beautiful to be able to share it sometimes. Mm -hmm. It it, it doesn't always feel like light, you know, Um, you know, our discussions start off a little challenging, but you know, it gets there and that's kind of how life works. I realize, you know, sometimes it don't feel so bright. But then there are moments where you got to wear your sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Dan? Me, um, I think the value of the seer. Right? Hmm. Like so often we think about the, the, the work or the people, the activity that is intended or not intended to be seen. And we often think of the, the subject that is being viewed. But there, it is irrelevant if it is not being seen from what I you know, gather from this. So being a more active seer. Yeah, is, is something I'm thinking about. That's beautiful. I'm thinking about this mapping on a national scale and the idea that like no matter where you are, this history has existed and needs to exist in a way that's accessible. So just that like you drop the pin where you are and here's the history just surrounding you on a street in a neighborhood in a city is a beautiful thing. Oh, you guys, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for that. How can uh, folks find you or your work in the ways you would like to be found? Huh. Well, I said I'm going to start tweeting more. <laughs> I'm going to try. It's such an incessant timeline. But I am Inspiration S, like Inspiration E-S-S on Twitter. Okay. And LiftingAsTheyClimb.com will soon be our fully functional website. So Beautiful. please do follow us there. Um, follow Project Nia, my co-author and co-conspirator and, and dear friend Miriam. Because we're always posting things and we'll also have a Facebook like page for lifting as they climb. So if you want to have any kind of access to the updates, to the resources, oh, yeah. and to us, um, check us out. Follow us, like us, tweet us, all of that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming through and Thank talking with us. Appreciate you. Me. Much love to the people. Peace. Yes, peace. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so we didn't. 